right. Well, let's get into 1 Corinthians today. We have been studying this book. We're in part two of uh, chapter seven. We started last week, started chapter seven, and we're going to do the second part of it today. And chapter seven, the backstory is extreme reactions, right? The people at this church were making extreme reactions to their faith in Christ, and Paul was trying to settle them down. You know, it's extreme reactions when someone says, I'm never going there again. I'm done with that thing. Just whoop. I remember I was going to meet a guy a few years ago for coffee. So we were going to meet for coffee, and I was saying, where should we go? So I think I texted him. I said, there's a Starbucks right over here on Bakerview close to the church, or there's a Woods the other way, or I said, maybe you like some independent. Where do you want to go for coffee? And he said, I am never going to Starbucks. And I said, well, you don't like their coffee? He's like, no, that wasn't the issue. The issue was the Seattle Supersonics. So some of you don't know that there wasn't a professional NBA team in Seattle called the Sonics. In fact, for a long time, they were the only professional team in Seattle to have won a championship. But uh, anyways, and at one time, Howard Schultz owned this team, and then he sold it to someone who m- let the team move that next year and become Oklahoma City Thunder. And, you know, Kevin Durant all those years should have been a Seattle Supersonic, but he wasn't. So anyways, the point was he was never going to drink Starbucks coffee because they sold the Sonics. So that he, so it was just one of those I'm like, you know. The, the people working at Starbucks probably don't even know anything about this. It's just coffee, man, but no, done. He was done. So I think we went to Woods. But um, it's just those reactions. Like, this happened, and I'm way over here. I'm done with that thing. I'm done with that thing. And so that's what was happening in 1 Corinthians. That was what was happening in this church. In chapter 7, we were reading that... Uh, they were making extreme reactions. In fact, at the end of chapter 6, there's a group of people that thought, hey, I'm saved. My spirit's going to the heaven with the Lord. doesn't matter what happens to my body. So, hey, we're going to go visit the temple prostitution program. And Paul's like, no, no, no. That is an extreme reaction in the wrong direction. You are joined to Christ. You're not going there. Then we open chapter 7, verse 1, and another group of people said, I follow Christ. I am now going to be celibate in marriage. That's it. I'm totally cutting off everything. And Paul's like, no, no, no. That's an extreme reaction in the other wrong direction. We're not doing that. You need to be faithful in your marriage to your vows. So that's kind of the two extremes we've been seeing. And then there's been all these extremes in between. And so the point in chapter 7 is to remain faithful to God's call on your life. He's called you somewhere, he's put you somewhere, and he wants you to stay with that. And so there's all these different scenarios in chapter 7 where that's played out. We have to stay faithful to God's call in your life. We saw in marriage intimacy last week, we looked at in singleness last week. And so this week we're going to look at um, we're going to look at a few others. So let's go first, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 17, because I want to get back in our head. I know sometimes it's a repeat, you know, part two, a whole bunch of people didn't hear part one. You're like, where is this coming from? So let me anchor us in the remain faithful to God's call in your life. And then we'll look at a couple more scenarios. So first Corinthians chapter seven, verse 17 through 20 is where we root this 
idea of remaining faithful to God's call in your life. So verse 17 says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So we talked a lot more about this last week, but the idea God has already laid out a life plan for you. You can see that in Psalm 139. He talks about it. You see it in in Acts 17. Paul says that he's put you in your exact places, the exact times, your locations. And so there's a path God has for you. It's not random. It's not you making it up. It's not you figuring it out. It's you saying, I want to be faithful to the path that God has for you. So he says, you need to lead the life that God has assigned to you. This is my rule in all the churches. He says, I'm telling everybody this. Lead the life. Verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. So he's saying, again, we see not extreme reactions. If you're already Jewish, he's like, you don't need to do anything medically to undo that. I don't really know how that works. If you aren't Jewish, but you think I need to get circumcised, he's like, Stop. no. He's like, that's not the point. He's, I want you to live a life obedient to God. I want you to remain. You've come to Christ. You don't need to change ethnically. You don't need to take that, any of those vows on you. Just live for the Lord. In this... Uh, that word there in verse 20, remain, I showed you this last week, remain appears in verses 8, 11, 20, 24, 26, and 40. It's a key word in this chapter. He's saying don't make an extreme reaction, don't make an extreme jump, don't make an extreme life decision. And then he's like, no, 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 remain. How God has called you. And when God has called you, that doesn't immediately mean you jump to a different life circumstance doesn't mean you jump in or out of a marriage. It's saying, it doesn't mean we, we change our, our ethnic backgrounds. He said, we're not going to do, we're not going to jump like that. You're going to realize God has you somewhere. He's called you somewhere. He wants you to live that out faithfully and obedient to him. Remain. Okay, so that's the background. doesn't mean that you don't ever make life changes, but it's, he's arguing against this jumping around. So let's look at a couple of them. We looked at some last week. Let's look at some here today. Remain faithful to God's call in your life. The first grouping is in Christian marriage. Okay, we're going to see later he's going to talk about different marriages. But in Christian marriages comes in verses 10 and 11. Okay, so remember he's, he's addressing specific life circumstances groups. So 1 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11. He says, to the married, okay, to the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord, The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So here he's addressing married, and we're going to see in a minute specifically people who are Christians and are married. So the first thing we need to understand, a little context here, he's speaking in a a Greek-Roman area. So what was happening in the Greek-Roman society a marriage, a divorce could happen like that. We in our culture call them no-fault divorce. Like you don't have to prove a grounds. You don't have to prove a broken anything. You're just, just done. And so in, in the Greek culture, you see it. I don't know if you notice how he addressed the women and the men differently here. He said women, you see that in verse 10, should not separate. Husbands should not divorce. Because how it worked 
is if the wife was done with the marriage, she just moved out. She separated because typically the males, the men owned the, owned the property in that culture. So to be done was just, well, I'm just out, I'm leaving. And that counted, you're done, you're divorced, you're out in that culture. So it says the women would just leave. And then the men, if they wanted out, they would divorce because they kept the property and they stayed. So that's why you see the two different wordings there. He's, the women in that culture just left and it's over. And the men made them leave. They sent them out. They divorced them out. And so it was just normal, commonplace. If, if they were done with the other one for any reason whatsoever, she squeezes the tube in the middle. He leaves the seat up. It didn't matter. Just, I'm done. I'm out. I don't have to have a reason. It's over. And so Paul was entering this culture and he's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's saying, no, you can't just take off. You can't just send them away. You're not supposed to do this. He's like, I want you to stay. And that's why he has this, if you've left, come back, right? Come, be reconciled. If you've, if you've left for no valid reason, you're just gone. He's saying, don't do this. And it was especially arguing against the, well, I'm done with you, but I'm liking that one and just jumping around. So he's saying, no, we're not doing that. The goal is to be married. Now notice here in verse 10, he gives a little parentheses not I, but the Lord. And he says that in this case because he's actually quoting Jesus on this one. So in other places, he, he doesn't say that, not I, but the Lord. But in this case, he's saying Jesus was actually asked this question and he addressed it. So I am reinforcing the teaching of Jesus. So I want us to look at that. And so we're going to look at this case that they brought to Jesus. And so it's unpacking divorce and remarriage and when do you do and when do you not and 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 Paul saying I'm quoting the Lord on this so I just I should have even said this earlier this is super sensitive <laughs> topics and I realize for for many people there's deep hurt and pain around these issues so I want to realize this is super sensitive and I want to handle it with care and so we want to look at the biblical teaching and then apply it to our life and really see how the grace of God works so I should have said that right at the outset so let's unpack what it means and then really understand it for where we are. So jump over to Matthew chapter 19. Because when he says, not I, but the Lord, he's, he's going to quote the teaching of Jesus on this. So Matthew 19 is a scene where some Pharisees and leaders come and they ask Jesus this very question. Matthew 19. So it says, now... 19 verse 1, Matthew 19 verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him. Notice that, it's a test, it's not a we really want this information, it's a we're trying to trick you, trap you, just note that context, to test him by asking is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Let's stop right there. What we have to realize is that this was a, a, basically a trap set for Jesus. Or, ba or they're wanting him to pick a side. And so what we, what, we have to, what we have to read there is that any cause is a key buzzword dividing point in, in two schools of rabbi thought in Jesus' day. So there was two schools of thought about when can a person divorce and remarry. There was one group that had this any cause rule. You see that word there? 
Any cause. And this is all coming from their interpretation of Deuteronomy 24. One group says it was any cause, any reason at all, they could divorce and send them away. And then another group said, no, that's not what it says. Deuteronomy 24 is specifically saying, if the spouse was unfaithful, you can send them away. So they want Jesus to weigh in on it. They want Jesus to say, which school are you? Are you this one school or are you this other school, right? So this is not an innocent question. They want him to answer. They want him to pick a side. One side says, any reason at all. You don't like her. He doesn't like, she doesn't like you. You're tired of this and that. Gone. And the other one says, nope, only for unfaithfulness. So that's, that's the context. That's what they're trying to get Jesus to answer. And Jesus is pretty clever because he doesn't, he doesn't just like step in their trap. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. He's, he's really smart. So verse four, he says, oh, Sue, sorry. Verse four, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He says, I'm not going to step right into your little debate right now. He says, I'm going to take you all the way back to what I made, what God designed. So he says, he made them male and female. God made our genders. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Let's hold there. So that's the first thing he says is, let's just go back to when I made this thing. Let's go back to when I built this thing. I made two genders. And my plan was for them to join and to become one and to start a new family unit, right? Leave the father and mother, join, start a new family unit, and there's a third party involved. You see the third party? It's not the pastor. It's God, right? What God has joined. I think that's really important for us, especially as Western free Americans. We think, well, I decide who I like. And then I planned to get married, and we are married, and we decided, and we got married. And here you see that when a couple comes together, that there's a spiritual component, that God joins you together. It's not just me and that person making a decision together. It's me and that person being joined together by God, with God present, with God watching. So that's the very first thing Jesus does. Let's get back to the beginning of this thing. He says, this is what I made. I made two genders. I made them to come together to start a new family unit, and I've joined them. God's in the equation. So that's extremely important, especially if you're unmarried and you're thinking you should get married, especially to our students down here. You think that might be a path. It's God's path. You seek God for this. It's not, you know, I just think they're attractive. I want to be with them. No, God needs to be all over it, coming together, and then in your marriage. So that's the first thing he does. God made the marriage God joins the marriage. He's saying, so don't break it up. He says, don't let man separate it. That's his first answer. But they press. They press, right? Verse 7. They said, well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? They're like, hey, it's in the Bible after all, Jesus. So they're not going to let him just walk off at that moment. They're like, well, why is this in here? Why does it say in Deuteronomy 24 to give a certificate of divorce? Why, is, why can that happen? So they still want to know that answer. When, when can that happen? Why is it in there? Verse 8, he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you 
to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So there at the end, he does answer. He does say, I am not for the any cause school. He says, I'm not in that group. I don't think that's what the, he's not saying I don't think. He's saying that's not what Deuteronomy 24 means. He's saying it does not mean anytime you don't like that person anymore, you send them away and it's good to go. He says, no, in fact, he knows these guys have been doing this. He knows they've been sending this wife away and this wife away. and I'm going to get this one and trade this one. He's like, that's all illegitimate. He's like, if you're doing that, that's adulterous. Don't, no, you can't do that. So he really drops the hammer on their question. He's like, no, if you're just sending wives away for any cause at all, he's like, that's not legitimate. That's not what Deuteronomy 24 means. Therefore, your new marriage is not legitimate. It's considered adulterous. That's what he says. So that's, Jesus answers that. I want to take a look at this verse 8, because this really sheds some light on what's going on here. They said, well, why is it in the Bible to have a certificate of divorce? And he says, it's because of your hardness of heart. That's why it's in there. And uh, I never understood this till recently, what he was getting at. But this is actually God being merciful to the, you might even use the word, the victim in the marriage. This is God being merciful because this is him saying, sometimes the person won't change. They won't stop cheating. They won't come back to the marriage because even if there is an affair, it doesn't mean it has to end. There is, there can be healing, but sometimes one won't. They're just not going to. And God knows the heart of people. He's like, I know. He says, that's not how I made marriage. That's not what I want for marriage, but I know the heart of people. And sometimes one of the spouses has a hard heart and they won't repent and they won't confess their sin and they won't change their behavior. And so this was actually God's mercy to a person so they're not chained to this person with a hard heart. He says, I I put the divorce in there so that the victim could get out of this if that person won't change. That's where he's getting at. He says, that's why I put it in there. I know that. And some of you have had that circumstance. You did everything you could to make a marriage work, and the other person would not change. They would not repent. They would not stop the cheating. They would not. And there's a point where, like, it's not, I can't do anything. They have a hard heart. They won't repent. They won't come back. They won't go to counseling. They won't work on it. And so this was God's mercy. This is why it's in there. Because, yeah, why is it in there? Because hard-hearted people, they won't change, they won't repent, they won't turn around. So I put a provision in there. So the victim of this is not chained forever to this person with a hard heart. That's why it's in there. So this isn't necessarily in this, but we have at least here, we have one biblical case where the divorce is permitted. We have the adultery one. There was another little section in Exodus that the Jews also use. So I'm going to show you this. And this one's got a kind of a unique context to it. So you might initially hear this and go, what is this coming from? But just stay with me. It's going to make sense. And this is the context Jesus is speaking into. So if you jump all the way over to the book of Exodus. Now in Exodus chapter 21. And so what we have here in Exodus is a whole bunch of, we have God gives the Ten Commandments. And then he goes into a bunch of specific cases. In this case, you do this. In this case, it's considered case law. In this case, you do this. In this case, you do this. 
So initially, you're going to think, what does this have to do with marriage? But in Exodus chapter 21, they, be, they present the case of a Jewish man who marries a Jewish servant. Okay? So immediately, this context is like, I can't even get my head around slavery and marrying your slave. But there was a way if someone was so poor. Now, this is specifically Jew to Jew. If someone was so poor... It was the best economic thing for them was to actually sell themselves into slavery or sell themselves as a servant. That, that was the option they had. But there were special rules if this was a Jewish person. So in the case we're going to look at, it's the context that a man, a Jewish man, purchased a servant, a woman who hired him out, and then he decides, you know, I'm just going to take her as a wife. That's the case that's being considered here. If a Jewish man takes so look in Exodus 21, verse 8. It says, uh, if she does not please her master who, who has designated her for himself, so there he's taken her as a wife, then he shall let her be redeemed. So if he doesn't want to be married to her anymore, he, he has to have a way for her to go free. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since she is, he has broken faith with her. So he can't say, I'm just going to sell you off and be done with you. It's like, no way. This is a, an Israelite daughter. You can't do that. Verse 9 says, if he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as a daughter. So if he gives her as his son's wife, she's a daughter, not a servant. Verse 10, if he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And verse, oh, I wish I didn't put it in there. Verse 11, if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. I forgot to include verse 11 on the slide. So here's how they reasoned. They said, okay, this is the case if a man marries a servant who's a Jew and says, no, you're going to be my wife now. And and he says, if he takes on another wife, he can't neglect her. He has to provide her food, her clothing, her marital rights. And if not, she can go. She's free. So what they reasoned was, if this is the case of a servant woman who's married, this must be the case of every marriage, right? This is a minimum standard that in every marriage, there must be provision of food, clothing, marital rights, and then there's faithfulness. So they have uncovered tons of Jewish vows all the way up into the time of Jesus. And these are in the vows. This was actually how they made their marriage covenants. You know, I, I commit to provide for you. They might've had more flowery language at some wedding after all, food, clothing, marital rights, and to be faithful to you. We use words like, for rich or for poor, I'm going to be there. It, it gets at the idea that I'm going to materially provide for you, and I'm going to lovingly provide for you marital rights, and I'm going to be faithful to you. We still have those in our vows. Even some of the older vows said things like, I pledge unto you all my worldly goods. So you can look through marriage vows through the years. These kind of underpinned their marriages. You provide, you take care of, you meet material needs, you honor them, you meet love needs, both physical and emotional love, and then you're faithful. So they had this reasoning that if, if those things are not met, then if, if the person refused to do them, then the divorce could happen. So that was the other case. And again, the issue is when there's a hard heart about it. When these things are not done and the offender has a hard heart, they let the marriage end. And this is where, uh, maybe you've heard people make a biblical case, this is where abuse comes in. 
If someone is abusing you, they are clearly not providing for your material needs, your emotional needs, and like it's not there. This is, this is the passages where that case is built. And again, it's a hard heart. If it's happening and someone comes around and says, look, whoa, we're seeing some red flags here. We need to work on this. And, and the one says, I am not. I'm not going to change. I am not going to go to counseling. I'm not going to stop abusing. I'm, there's a point when the victim's spouse is no longer bound. And I realize sometimes it's very hard to identify one perpetrator and one victim in any marriage. Sometimes it's not that clean. But sometimes it is. Sometimes someone says, I want this marriage to happen. I want to work it out. I want to do anything I can do. And the other one has a hard heart. And they're not going to provide love. And they're not going to provide a safe home. And they're not going to be faithful. And there's a point when I think that's God's mercy. That's why the divorce is there. Because some people will not change. And he's not going to chain somebody to that. That's heavy stuff, right? This is heavy But the picture was this. Remain faithful to God's call in your life in Christian marriage. If you are married as a Christian, the the picture Jesus is saying is, I want this to last, and I joined this together. And so that's the standard we're holding up. That's the thing we want to happen. We want it to be there. We want to have marriages last. That's the picture. And and so if that's a place where you're married and that's a struggle, Please reach out for help. Please don't let it fester. Because what happens is, if you just let it go, let it go, let it go, there's a point when one of the partners just breaks. They're like, I, I'm just done. I just, there's, there's nothing more I can do with this person. We don't, you don't want to get to that place where it's just, they're done. Get help now. I also want to affirm, maybe you got to your Christian marriage in a way that didn't conform to these biblical standards. And you're like, well, we probably shouldn't have gotten married in the first place, but we did. He's saying, don't undo that. Don't, that uh, it's like the old two wrongs don't make a right. Like, well, we got married, but I really probably shouldn't have. And, but here we are. Undoing it doesn't fix anything. Undoing it creates a new heartache, a new problem, a new broken marriage, a new situation. So if you're married right now, however you got there, whatever the circumstances, getting out of it is not solving anything. I think that's what's saying. No. He says, don't leave. And then then Jesus talked about this. He said, God's joined you. So even if you got there for reasons that don't conform to these texts we looked at, the fact is you're married now, and we want to keep it. We want to honor it. We want to remain faithful to that. But we also want to be sensitive. (laughs) Having a divorce in your past is not an unforgivable sin. Right? It's not. You come to the Lord and say, this is what happened. Maybe it was your fault. Maybe it was their fault. Maybe it was everybody's fault. I don't know. And you just say, Lord, this happened. And you grieve it. And you confess it. And you say, I want to go forward in you. Whatever circumstance I'm in, I want to go forward in you. And the Lord is gracious and forgiving. So I think sometimes churches have made that the sort of, oh, you had divorce once. You're in, you're in a different class. It's not biblical. It's not the case. Right? Wherever you are, you go forward in Christ. However you got there, there's always grace. There's a new start. Okay, that's the first case. Remain faithful to God's call in your life in Christian marriage. Second case, second group he brings up is in a mixed faith marriage. Or maybe you'd say unequally yoked, you might say. So, let's see. I need to get back to 1 Corinthians. That's the second grouping Jesus brings up. And that comes in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. 
<sighs> to the rest, I say. And then he goes, I, not the Lord. He's like, okay, Jesus didn't address this case is what he's getting at. It's not saying Jesus commands and then mine don't count. He's saying, in this case, we don't have a direct teaching, but I'm going to talk about it. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. So the first part is this addressing this idea of a marriage where one person's a believer and the other person isn't. And this has specifically happened probably a lot more in a new Christian context. The gospel's just come, a bunch of people have just believed, but maybe their spouse didn't. So here there, I'm a Christian, I'm already married, they're not really wanting to come with me, they don't want to listen, they're not, and so they were in this, well, what do I do? Do I get rid of this person because they didn't want to come to faith? Should I just, whoop, men, remember, extreme reactions. I'm a Christian now, he's not, well, you're out. No, he's saying, wait, no. If they will stay, let them stay. And notice, you see there, I think the issue was, it's this issue of, um, does it make our marriage unclean? Does it make our marriage unholy? Do you see that in there? Um, verse 14, the unbelieving husband is made holy. That doesn't mean made saved. I think there was just this fear of if we're married and one's a believer and one isn't, is this not looked on favorably by God? Is this a bad thing? Is this impure? Should we not have it? Are our kids messed up? And he's like, no, no. One of you is a believer. God is in this. God joins marriages together. He's like, it's okay. Stay there. If they're not a believer and they want to stay married to you, stay married. That's what he's saying. It, it doesn't make the relationship unholy. It doesn't make your offspring unholy. It, it, this is okay. God is in this. You don't have to go. But then he goes on a little bit further. Verse 15, he says, But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So also there's cases when they just, they don't want to stay married. And this is, let them go. They can go, let them go. Um, and that idea they're not enslaved, I think is basically saying you're free to remarry in the Lord. You're free to marry a Christian person. So you see, that's the deal. Some of them aren't going to want to stay. But he's basically saying, you don't know if you can save them. You don't know if they'll ever listen to you. And I would think, I don't know this, I only know it by people talking to me, is that this is one of the hardest situations. If one's a believer and one isn't. It, it's a very, it doesn't mean you can't have a, a functional marriage, but it does mean this deepest part of you that has faith in Christ isn't shared in the marriage. And that is super hard. Sometimes it even goes so far, not only is it not shared, the other partner is actually hostile to it. Like, I don't like that faith. I don't like your belief, but they still want to be married to you. So this scenario creates very difficult circumstances. And if that's your scenario, we just pray God's grace on you because that is so hard. You don't know if you can save them. You don't know. In fact, have you ever found that people in your life that are close to you are harder to talk to about spiritual issues? It's harder to talk to a family member. It's harder to talk to a spouse. It's harder to talk to a brother and sister because, like, you don't talk to me about this. You're almost praying, Lord, send someone else into their life. Send someone from work. Send some other situation that will cause them to, to uh, 
Turn to the Lord. But again, here he's saying, if, the, if they want to stay married, don't divorce them just because they're not a believer. He's like, that's not a legitimate reason. The marriage is good. If they want to go, go. But he's saying, don't, that's not the reason to get rid of them. If they're not going to have a faith of yours, you're in a tough spot. But he's not, he's not saying, well, let's just get rid of them. Hang in there. And if they do go, then they go. So we want to remain faithful to God's call in our mixed marriages. In our marriages where there's difference of faith. Whew, this is heavy stuff. This is heavy stuff. If God's called you in marriage, it can be the most wonderful relationship. It can be the most challenging relationship. If you're in a marriage where the other partner doesn't even share your faith, it's even harder yet. So this calls for tons of grace, tons of patience, tons of focus on Christ to make it happen. But this is where he's called us. But here's what I want to see. Here's where I want to turn this conversation to God's faithfulness to us. We are weak and we fail and we need God's help. And here's what I want you to see, and this might surprise you. God actually was divorced. God divorced his people. And we see his heart. So I want you to look at this. You look at this in uh, Jeremiah chapter 3. I want to see the pain God goes through and God's response to us. Because this is the, the picture we really need. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. We're going to see God's own words about his unfaithful bride. Jeremiah chapter 6. Or Sorry, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. Would help if I also was on chapter 3. Okay. The Lord, this is God speaking to Jeremiah. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one Israel? So he's looking at Israel as a bride. How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore. So the idea of that is every high hill and every green tree is how they would worship pagan deities. So he said, Israel, who I saved, went up and worshiped every other God and every other thing of all the nations around, not me. Verse 7, and I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return. And he said, I kept hoping she wouldn't come back. Hard heart, not coming back. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Kingdom of Israel split Israel and Judah. So he looks at him as her sister. Judah saw it. And she saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Right? She had a hard heart. She wouldn't come back. God sent her away. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear. But she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. So she kind of faked it, faked like she was devoted. And the Lord said to me, faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north. That would be towards Israel. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever, 
Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Do you see the grace of God there? He's like, my people were like an adulterous wife to me. They went away and they never came back. And what does he say? I want you back. Return. Return. So whether you're married not or not right now, the point is we want to be connected to the Lord. Have you ever been unfaithful in your heart to the Lord? Have, have things been in front of him? Have you said, I worship you, God, but then this thing is more important and that thing is more important. And I've been over here and you've called to me and you've been gracious to me and I've done my own thing. And he's just going, come back, come back. We're the ones with the hard heart, not God. He's going, please come back. So I love when we jump to Jeremiah 31, verse 31, we see how God solves it. He's calling us back. He's calling us back. He knows that people, we have a rebellious heart and a hard heart. And no matter how much he calls, we do our own thing or we pretend, right? He said they came back in pretense, verse 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. No matter how far we've gone, no matter what pain we've done, the Lord says, I will forgive. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might be the righteousness of God. The way we get a new heart is through the death of Jesus. The way we have any hope of walking into marriage is through the power of Jesus. The way, no matter how far we've run or how much we've done to flee from God, the way back is he gives us a new heart. In Jesus. That is our hope. So let's take a moment to pray now. And then uh, worship team's going to come up. We're going to sing a song, and it's kind of a preparation song. And after we sing that, we're going to come back and share the Lord's table together when we remember how He saved us, how He brings us back. Lord Jesus, I just pray for marriages. Lord, marriage is hard. Marriage is two people coming together with your help. I just pray that you would bless. Marriages in our church, however they got there, whatever the circumstances, whether they're both Christians, whether one is and one isn't, would your grace be upon them? I pray for soft hearts, that if one is offended, that they would repent and you would heal. And I pray for those with a deep scar from a, a marriage that ended. There's a wound down in there. You would heal that. Would you heal the deep wounds? Lord, and we just pray as a church, we'd be a people of grace, realizing that we have all been rebels. We have all run from you. We have all turned to every other thing. And yet you hold out grace for us. You pay the price for us. You gave us a new heart at the cost of your son. And so we thank you. Help us, Lord. Help us to follow you. Help us to 
receive your grace and truth to carry into our marriages, to carry into our relationships, to carry into our church family. And help each of us to remain faithful to you. We need help, Lord. Help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.